There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. Thursday morning, the 25th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Yesterday, the Labour Party used its private members' time in the Dáil to raise the difficulty in accessing autism and disability assessments and supports. Its health spokesperson, Duncan Smith, tabled a motion highlighting how some 10,000 children are waiting for an assessment. In relation to... Deputy Smith, in your opening remarks, you talked in relation to the, uh, ass- the assessment of needs uh, and the, the list that is there that I thought I had cleared, and I had cleared, but it has all grown back up again. That's Anne Rabbit. The Minister for Disabilities sounded very frustrated, telling the doll that it is right to criticise the long waiting lists. The Minister came into office three years ago when 7,500 children were on a waiting list. Those lists were cleared, but progress then went into reverse, and now over 10,000 thousand children are waiting on an appointment. I have a proposal myself and Minister O'Gorman have a proposal um, given to the HSE where I want to have a minimum of six regional assessment units stood up. Minister Rabbit explained what she wants to achieve through those six units. When every child is assessed that there is a, a round table liaison that will work together and we will have somebody from CAMS and we will have somebody from primary care we would then be able to find the proper pathways back into where the child needs that services. This, the minister said, would give every child the best possible chance in life. Then the assessment would be liaised out correctly so the child returns to the proper team and the teams that are there, we allowed them to build up the capacity to do a direct intervention. Now, that's what the minister wants, but the minister is not getting what the minister wants. What I will say today on the floor of the doll as I sit down is that if that is not done by the 1st of August... I will take to budget what you have suggested here today, that we will fund the families. So I'm giving the time to the HSE to act on the ask. And I am supported by the senior minister on that. But for once and for all, we put the parent and the child first. And that is what I will be doing. Politicians across the divide applauding and rabbit. Well done, Minister, said Alan Kelly. Well done, said Sean Sherlock, both Labour Party TDs. The Ciam Corla added to that, saying that was a remarkably frank contribution. It certainly was. Um, 
probably not what the Labour Party expected to hear from uh, Minister Anne Rabbit. Let's uh, hear if that's the case or not. Labour Party TD for Loudland East Mead, Jed Nash is with us in uh, the studio. Probably not what you expected, but a welcome contribution, I take it. Uh, absolutely. Um, and It's not what we expected, but it's what we wanted uh, to hear. And Ken Cora is right. Uh, when we bring motions uh, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to the Dáil as opposition parties, what you often get is bluff and bluster or maybe a government without the courage to actually um, vote down your motion. They may accept it and then send it to the place where motions are sent today, uh, never to be revisited again. This is the third uh, motion in the space of the last uh, year and a half that we have introduced uh, in relation to services for young people with disabilities or autistic people. Um, and it goes to show you the level of concern that we have and the level of concern that people across the country have about the absence of services and the struggles that families have on a daily basis to get but the basic assessment needs. But as we heard yesterday, oddly enough, peculiarly, as is the case, it's a concern that the government holds too. It is, and I, I have to accept Minister Rabbit's sincerity about how she wants to deal with this. Uh, and the reason why we were proposing this motion in the first place, and, and only one element of the motion, mm. is the capacity of the HSC to support families to get a private mm. assessment and to pay for that you know, financially, to support them financially. And we wouldn't ordinarily say that it is a good thing to outsource mm. what should be public sector work, uh, but we are in crisis and families are in mm. crisis. Uh, and as a short-term measure, we believe that should happen. The Darmody family in mm. Tipperary, you'll be familiar with, uh, Michael, uh, long-standing campaign on mm-hmm. uh, uh, issues around autism and young people. Two of their family members, two of, Ka- of Cara Dermody's mm-hmm. brothers, her two brothers mm-hmm. uh, are children with autism. She's been campaigning for them. She's made a huge impact on all of us. I've met her twice in the mm-hmm. last few weeks. And they actually managed to secure um, a, a private resource in the HSE to get that assessment. The HSE w- will pay for it. Mm-hmm. But the HSE, uh, at the same time, denied that that's policy, uh, which is peculiar. Um, so a hugely least, influential 12-year-old. A hugely uh, but, influential. But, but to take that it has to take a 12-year-old yeah, to actually... But, 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 but what's the problem here with the HSE? HSE, uh, the Minister effectively said uh, on the floor of the Dáil yesterday, if you can't do the job I'm funding you to do, directing you to do, I'll get somebody else to do it. Well, I, I'll, I, I'll reimburse parents to go private. Absolutely. And, and this actually, if, if you kind of strip it all back, well, yesterday might be considered to be a win for us and for families who are waiting across the country for an assessment of needs. It's almost an admission of failure by this minister that her own service, the service that is supposed to be accountable to her mm. and accountable to Dahl, is simply not working for families across the country. And I see that day in mm. and day out. Ivana Batchik made a very good point yesterday and she described it as institutional hostility. Uh, when a family comes to me uh, where, you know, with an autistic child uh, waiting for an assessment of needs or waiting for occupational therapy, whatever the case might be, they come up against barrier after mm. barrier. It's a constant fight from the day the child was born. There's no barriers and here with this nope. minister, though. No barriers with this government. They told the HSE to do the job, and that should be where their role in this ends. And it's over to the HSE who aren't delivering. And we're seeing a, a, a duplicate of that again today in another part of your motion with these respite beds in Carrigaline. The minister has asked that the HSE take on agency nurses so that 10 beds can be opened. The HSE said they can't get them. That's right. And, and, and this goes to the heart of the problem. Uh, the minister 
couldn't have put it any clearer yesterday. And we're very clear because we know in terms of our relationship with staff across the country, relationship with the trade unions that represent those staff, that it is very, very difficult at the moment to recruit and retain skilled staff. We got a parliamentary question reply recently that shows that the, the scale of the problem. Um, there are vacancy rates of anywhere close to 34% in certain social care aspects of the HSE. Occupational therapy in Louth is an absolute disaster. An absolute disaster. Not to put too fine a point on it. There are six uh, available posts in terms of occupational therapists. 0.5 of those posts are filled. So this county is operating the basis of a half of a whole-time equivalent of an occupational therapist. And I have the figures uh, here before me, Michael. There are 1,084 children uh, awaiting uh, first assessment, I think, over 12 months. Mm. That's the worst uh, set of figures in the country after Dublin. Mm. And we know the scale of Dublin. This is in County Louth, and families are really suffering. It's okay as well if you get the assessment of need, but what happens after that when you don't have a speech and language therapist, when you don't have an occupational mm. therapist, when well, you're that, waiting for a psychological that assessment, assessment? And when CAMS, mm, as well, by yeah, the way, the, mm, the, the Child and, mm, and, and yeah. Adolescent Mental Health Service, often will not deal uh, with a child who has a diagnosis of autism, who may be dis- displaying, and whose families and GPs are convinced are, are displaying um, mental health problems. Uh, they they will they will not treat that. Mm. Well, they, treat they, that. these assessments I, I thought, are I hugely important for every child. But the, 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 the clue should be in the label: yeah, yeah. child and adolescent. Mm. Every child well, and every I adolescent. Think, I don't think there's a corner of uh, the country uh, where you won't hear criticism of CAMS. Uh, but these assessments will pave the future lives of these children for better or worse, uh, for better if they get the assessment and end up getting the the services in line with how they're diagnosed, or, or for worse, if they're forgotten about. That, that's it, and th- th- this, is the, this, is the, this is the thing, this is the point. It's all well and good having an assessment of needs, and that, that's important. And we're not hung up on how that assessment of needs takes place now, because the average waiting time, Michael, is 19 months across the country. It's much worse than some in some regions. So you, you imagine if you're a two, three, four-year-old child, you're preparing to go to school, you need mm. that assessment to be able to dictate what kind of supports as well that you require in school. So we hold the Minister to account mm. on, on this commitment that you made in the doll yesterday. Mm. This was repeated by the Taoiseach as well and we deliberately questioned the Taoiseach on this mm. to make sure that's on the doll yeah, record. And the, the Taoiseach, and the Taoiseach told Mary Lou MacDonald people are entitled to this assessment uh, and... Well, legally like, they are and the courts have shown, have demonstrated mm, that. Yeah, but and, but and the, how it's the, the Taoiseach is, said is, is the, the government recognised that entitlement uh, and and the, if necessary, they'll pay for it. But they're trying to pay for it through the public health body, the HSE. What is the problem with the HSE? This, from, from what we heard yesterday, uh, the problem doesn't appear to lie with government. Well, I'll tell you what the problem is. The, the problem is recruitment and retention of staff. Um, the problem as well is accountability. Um, the individual complaints procedure in the HSE isn't fit for purpose. That, that need, it's not independent, that's the point. Um, families feel that they're on their own. Um, they're up against this, what they'd consider, and I don't mean to be unfair to everybody in the HSE, but in disregard and institutional hostility as described by Ivana Bacic yesterday. It was recounted to me on, on, um, on, on, on uh, mo- mo- Monday evening by um, a good friend of mine who's a, a, a well-known national advocate uh, for uh, autistic people uh, and a parent herself that we're all sick and tired of dealing with families who might be on a Zoom call with 10 well-intentioned HSE officials. I said this in the doll yesterday, uh, telling you that they're going to support you and nothing comes out uh, the other end. I'm dealing with a family, Michael, at the moment, and I put this on the doll record yesterday. Mm. I didn't identify the family. And in any case, there are about four families across this region and North County Dublin in the same mm. situation. A woman contacted me earlier on this week and um, 
from essentially from the side of her of her autistic yeah. son's bed. He has serious he, behavioural uncontrollable behaviour, uncontrollable behaviour, yeah. mm-hmm. as was described mm-hmm. to me. Um, I recounted that in, in the doll yesterday. I did it to illustrate the broader point of the failures in terms of the HSE in addressing the needs of our most vulnerable citizens mm. and their families because it is not only th- those vulnerable, mm. it is our families as well who may be in danger because of, as I described, the mm. uncontrollable behaviour. Um, you know, Gardaí have been involved mm. in cases, schools, mm. uh, other authorities. Uh, and at the moment, and he, at the moment he, yeah. we have, there are mm. four, to five, four to five young people bordering adulthood Mm. Uh, who are in acute hospital beds who no longer need acute yeah. medical care who are awaiting uh, decent respite services and if they can't get that there's alternatives being looked mm. at but ultimately what they need is permanent residential yeah. services a, a person uh, who has a, run a, by a skilled people and run by the state many challenges many uh, challenges but is physically well uh, and we heard this week uh, we hear many examples uh, but it was a striking example from Waterford of a 78 year old woman uh, who had cardiac problems, went to the hospital, left sitting on a chair for 24 hours. Uh, when she was seen, uh, they discovered she was in heart failure. Uh, and, and then to get a bed for that person uh, is all the more difficult because the bed is occupied with somebody who doesn't need the bed. Correct and right, because it's the other crazy. services that are supposed mm. to be supporting the acute medical service actually actually aren't. And there are individuals, in, in mm. the case that, that I, I referenced, Mike, there are individuals who are doing their best, but corporately, uh, the organisation is failing and the organisation is supposed to be accountable to ministers. We have ministers now who are, um, for the want of a better phrase, wringing their hands and looking at alternatives because the system that they're supposed to be, that, that is supposed to be accountable to them and accountable to the doll is, is failing. Mm. It's failing. It's as simple as that. She did propose yesterday and Roderick O'Gorman, Minister O'Gorman, who again is a sincere person I believe wants to address this, um, that they are looking at alternatives in terms of how they recruit and retain staff, uh, looking at providing additional benefits, for example, relocation mm. um, um, resources for people who may come from, from abroad, skilled people who may come from abroad. They're looking as well, for example, uh, at a situation where you could train um, uh, therapists, um, not up to the grade of occupational therapists, but who could actually do additional work to help occupational therapists to get through the situation that mm. we're in at the moment because of the shortage. Brendan Howland yesterday recounted a bizarre situation dealing with a constituent who is qualified in a nursing discipline in Queen's University, Belfast, but on um, the Nursing and Medical Whiffery Board do not recognise their qualification. On this island, uh, a modern uh, uh, health service we're, we're crying out overseen by the NHS, we're crying out for staff. Uh, there's, there's, there's the bureaucracy is absolutely incredible and it's destroying people it is destroying people it's ne- it needs mm. to change and it's not a question of resources there's a record budget now mm. for that whole area in the HSE mm. 2.63 billion euros last year the highest amount on record the country's growing this area in particular is a very young area Day in, day out, I'm dealing with families in this situation. It's just simply not good enough. We welcome the Minister's commitment yesterday. That's a short-term fix. Mm. We saw, for example, when... Uh, well, it's the, the wrong fix. It, well, uh, well, uh, well uh, ultimately, uh, in the long term, it is. Of course uh, it is. It I, is. I, th- I think the Minister, if she acts that way, it'll be very reluctantly uh, that it's that her direction has not uh, been followed, uh, that the HSE has found itself incapable uh, of delivering what it's been charged to do. Or simply, which I believe it routinely does, is ignore ignore uh, the will of the Minister and ignore uh, the will will of the Dáil. It is is a very large uh, uh, organisation that sometimes is disconnected, in my view, from the reality of 
the world and the reality of the political system. It is overly bureaucratic um, and it pains me to say that as somebody who supports uh, the public service. I can't uh, believe that the HSC... Uh, uh, often, Michael, I'll give you an example. Would now. intentionally uh, uh, ignore uh, uh, that it would feel that it knows better. I mean, that's the implication uh, uh, in what it, you're saying. I, I, I believe, and it's an institutional problem, not, not a problem of any involving any one individual, I believe that there is a view at certain levels of the HSE that it's their job to manage the system, that almost it's a case that they make policy mm. and not the minister, and that it's up to them mm. to deliver. It is their it job is, to is, manage yeah, the system, but in line but are, with government they policy. They are accountable. It is the government they, of Ireland that sets health policy. Uh, absolutely. And, and uh, I think it is beset with managerialism um, institutionally. Uh, and is not as responsive as it might be to the needs uh, of people, uh, and uh, that is which leaves children. Which, that is a problem. Which leaves problem. children abandoned. I, I mean, and a, a, a litany of other problems, but uh, does, very specifically in relation to this. A, a, absolutely, ruining does. lives. You said it. Okay. All right. Uh, while you're with us, uh, can I uh, just briefly ask you uh, about uh, the Apple tax uh, court, uh, the European Court of Justice looking at, at that now? Uh, it's gone on, what, seven years <laughs> now at this we'll stage? see the money. Yeah, it will be six months or a, a year. Uh, the Labour Party never wanted that money. Does that continue to be your position? It's not that we never wanted the money. Um, we respected the decision that was made uh, by the court. And uh, Apple and other multinational corporations actually have a point uh, in that, uh, the way that the European Commission are well, you, one of well, the you rejected the decision that was made by the European Commission and said that uh, Ireland the state should, did. Uh, and that Ireland should fight it. You supported the, the government, st- the state it, did. You, but the uh, Labour supported the government in fighting the ruling by the European Commission uh, and said that it would destroy uh, Ireland's reputation. Uh, it may be it may have been wrong in law. Uh, and that was the advice. When you're in government, you have to accept the advice of the Attorney General. Um, they're the Chief Legal Officer. We accepted that at the time. Uh, nothing, by the way, that I've read since has kind of dissuaded me from that. Um, Apple may have a point uh, that the uh, tax owed was paid in the US. And part of the issue here around uh, tax practices across the European Union is actually due to do with the way that the, European, or the US tax system works as well. We'll see how it works out. Mm. Uh, I'm not convinced we'll ever see that money, if by the way. If we're still alive. We're still yeah. alive. I'm, I'm not yeah, convinced yeah. that we'll ever see that money. Uh, uh, the court of first instance made a particular, and that's been challenged. We'll see. There was a hearing yesterday, uh, I think. So we, we'll see We'll see how that emerges. All right. Thank you for coming into us uh, this morning, Labour's spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, is a TD for Louth and Eastmeath. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. It might be unthinkable uh, to wonder how a child is going to get through the day if uh, they went to school this morning and won't won't eat anything uh, again until they get home uh, this evening. Uh, But probably not surprising if uh, you look at at research that has been uh, carried out for Bernardo's. One in ten families has used food banks over the course of uh, the last year. Almost a fifth of parents are struggling to put food on the table. For their families, a quarter of parents say that they've cut down on some of uh, their household bills. 29% of parents said they've skipped a meal themselves so that they'd have enough for their children to eat. Uh, Let's uh, speak now to Stephen Moffat, National Policy Manager with Barnardo's. A very good morning to you, Stephen, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, Life is undoubtedly very, very tough for an awful lot of people in in this country. Uh, What do you make of uh, the Fine Gael proposal to give tax cuts in the budget 
uh, in October and to, to put a thousand euro back into the pockets of working people? So certainly, you know, from what we've seen and from what our work research would show is that families across the board are, are struggling to some degree, uh, you know, struggling uh, to provide children with essentials. Would that feed children? Sorry? Would that feed children? The additional thousand euro. Um, so we know that, uh, you know, families are, are struggling, that, you know, additional supports provided from governments across families would certainly be welcome. Uh, but measures such as that would have to be combined with obviously targeted measures. So how that t- additional thousand euro would uh, be distributed to all uh, all families across the country uh, would be something to look at in more detail. Uh, we would obviously always like mm. to see you know additional supports to, to all families who are struggling, uh, so long as they're attached with targeted supports. So it's the families who are really struggling most of those families exactly who you mentioned who are maybe potentially going without food or are taking really extreme measures and mm. able to provide their children with food. Well, I, I take it that that one thousand euro that they're talking about uh, would favour predominantly high earners. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's one of the things that we would uh, we sometimes would be concerned about is that if they're u- utilising money, this potential you know surplus that uh, the government is talking about, um, that it needs to be d- distributed certainly equitably. Uh, so you know, if there's an opportunity to do something uh, within society with this surplus, it should be targeted at those who are probably struggling most, uh, or certainly you know families were struggling more than they would have been prior to the cost of living increases. Um, so, yeah, if it's something universal uh, where, you know, high earners are also mm. benefiting from it, it, we need to see that it's equitably done for uh, those on, on lower incomes. Mm, yeah, well, I, I take it uh, those on low incomes uh, would do a, a lot with a, a thousand euro, would buy a few pairs of shoes uh, and would help uh, to uh, fill that gap uh, where parents are struggling to put food on the table. Yeah, absolutely. When I, you know, I had the privilege of chatting to 30 parents, one-on-one interviews over the last month or so, and what they were telling me was the one-off measures that the government had introduced over the last year or so had, had you know, were a big help. They got them, as they say, out of a hole. They gave, they helped them keep afloat. And it's when they got those additional uh, one-off payments, it was it enabled them to pay off arrears. It, it allowed them to make you know bigger purchases for children. Exactly, a big thing that they said was around buying shoes and coats for children. They waited until those one-off measures. So they really, really helped, and they make a huge difference to the lives of, of families who are struggling. Mm. Uh, so when those measures are coming to an end, look, we 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 really need to think what we can do going forward. Mm. Um, it must be. Uh a terrible situation to be in uh, apart from uh, being hungry apart from uh, worrying where you're going to uh, get the money uh, if uh, the child grows out of the shoes or the coat or whatever the case may be it it must have uh, additional impacts though psychologically emotionally on people yeah massively Uh, you know parents have told me you know uh, are, that they're really struggling, you know, mentally around this because it's something that's been, you know, for parents who constantly have issues around finances. Look, they're trying to do as much as they can to budget, but they can only budget so so far, and they're still going without. You know, more and more parents are being pulled into sort of deprivation like scenarios. Uh, they're going to sleep worrying about whether or not they have uh, enough food for their children mm. the next day, enough heat, uh, enough electricity. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is, you know, parents try to keep that up from their children, but that's very hard to do at times. So it is trickling down to children, you know, as you know, particularly children who might be a little bit older, you know, 11, 12 year olds, they see their parents struggling. They see their parents constantly worrying. And, you know, children take on some of that worry themselves. And in some cases, we saw children 
Uh, we heard about children, you know, not telling their parents that they needed new shoes, not telling their parents that they needed a new coat because they didn't want to uh, build or increase their, their parents' burdens. Mm. I'm not sure if I could last until tea time to go home to whatever is available. Um, it must be incredibly hard to send a child out to school for the day without a, a lunch. Um, are, are parents reluctant to seek help? There's certainly, you know, uh, parents that I would have spoken to, you know, what, what I would have talked to them about is, you know, that fact that it's a, it's a real strength coming forward to look for help. Uh, and, you know, parents see it part and parcel having to sacrifice to provide for their children, but also the parents I spoke to, you know, they realised, look, it's something they might struggle with, but they have to put their their children first, so they, they will go and seek help. But that is difficult for a lot of parents, you know, who are just now struggling to keep afloat, keep their heads above water. It's not something they want to do. They might be reluctantly go to families uh, for, for support, financial support, but it is something families uh, feel difficult doing, and our message is always, it's a real strength of parents to go and look for that help. Mm. Is it not a failure or is that what people uh, feel? Is that what stops them, that perception that it's a failure on that, their part that they can't provide uh, for their families that stops them from seeking charitable help? Yeah, I think it's two things. One, it's that they feel like they're doing absolutely everything they can uh, to provide their children with essentials. They're making sacrifices, but it's still not getting them over the line. It's still... Uh, you know, real struggle. So it's that internal sense of failure. Are they doing something wrong? When in fact they're not. They're doing everything they can. And then it's the other element. It's that societal thing. So, you know, we really need to look to sort of turn around over time. That like going forward to get help, it's that some, somehow, you know, society we see as a failure as a parent. Yeah. Uh, when in fairness, a lot of these parents themselves will be dealing with huge societal inequities uh, over long periods of time. Um, so yeah, it's, that's we need to challenge that and really say, you know, look, it's a real positive to go to to a, a charity for help if you need it. Well, it would be a real positive if uh, there was no need to go to charity, and in a, a country as wealthy as this, there should be no need to go to charity. I, I think there's no doubt about that. Given that this year the government will pay all of its bills. Uh, and uh, we'll end up with a surplus of 10 billion euro, 10 billion left over after paying all its bills. Uh, And that's why I started off by asking you about putting a thousand euro into the pockets of relatively wealthy people who don't have these concerns. It's a matter of choices, is it not, Stephen? Yeah, there's definitely choices to be made uh, going forward. And we know political parties will... uh, you know, try and uh, think of the most creative ways to, to spend some of that surplus. Um, for us, it's, you know, Leo Fragger earlier on this year said he wanted Ireland to be the best country in Europe uh, to grow up as a child. Uh, we think there's a lot of steps that need to be taken mm. to get to that position. And we could utilise the money, that 10 billion to start going yeah. towards being uh, that country that we, we want our children to grow up in. Well, political parties will come up with whatever ways they come up with of spending the 10 billion. Uh, and uh, that is uh, what they're there to do, to say, look, put us in power and this is how we'll spend the money. It's up to people to choose who they put it in power. It's up to people, in other words, to say, uh, we want to make rich people richer or we want to feed our children. Yeah, and we would certainly always say, look, um, the priority always has to be on making sure that children have absolute essentials. Um, We are a wealthy country. You know, we do have a surplus in place. Let's try 
behind make sure that families aren't struggling, uh, that you know they're going to bed knowing that their children will at least have electricity, heat, food, clothing at the ver- at an absolute minimum. Um, and you know what? It's it's for political parties to go out, chat to parents directly, uh, chat to families about what the struggles are. And, and you know there are things, that, uh, policies that can be put into place, you know, nearly immediately that would alleviate some of these problems. Um, and we think, you know, over over the next sort of four or five months, as the government thinks about what to do with the surplus, that needs to be the priority. Okay, we leave it there, Stephen. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning, Stephen Moffat, National Policy Manager with Bernardo's. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Phone 0419 658 Paddy Duffy texting saying uh, the government is taking people for mugs. We're told energy companies buy in advance at a higher price than uh, the products are available uh, at the moment. So we pay higher in our bills. Uh, the same companies, though, make excessive profits uh, and way beyond what they were making before. Simple mathematics. Both scenarios can't be right at the same time we're being price gouged and our government is doing nothing about it. Thanks Paddy. Deirdre says uh, the way people on disabilities are waiting to be assessed uh, is a joke. Something needs to be done urgently. Uh, Another WhatsApp message uh, from somebody who says I have a two-year-old with a heart condition and supposed to have a six-month check and I never got an appointment. I have to ring them to make it uh, and when I do I can hardly get through to the hospital. As a parent of a 16 year old beautiful girl with ASD and DCD uh, another texter says we are in a constant battle with accessing appropriate adaptive therapies and disability services they won't even meet her. But CAMS have been very good and supportive to us. So I can only come to the view that the disability services in Louth have a hidden agenda that is to deny, delay, frustrate families in order that those requiring their service outgrow them and then it's not their problem. Michael, will you find out for us who has already had to pay privately for sensory assessment and ASD assessment because the HSE didn't help us even though we were on the list. Will we be reimbursed? Thank you, Jackie. Uh, The minister says no, it won't be retrospective, but she will pay people to go private from August onwards if the HSE hasn't done it by the 1st of August she said Margaret says Michael will the government get someone of the calibre of Michael O'Leary in to run the HSE it was far better when we all had our own area like the old North Eastern Health Board God be with the good old days we didn't have pen pushers like the way we do now people ticking boxes we had people who knew what they were doing and worked hard too much protocol these days and not enough trust in and in defence of the HSE personnel Um, uh, in defence of the HSE people just love suing them these days nurses and care staff spend more of their time writing and not having time to care that has to go and trust has to be restored thank you Margaret indeed uh, for that uh, and everybody who's been in touch so far now just on uh, that report from Bernardo's which I think is something we should all be ashamed of here's what the Taoiseach had to say about it we're going to have a free school book scheme for all primary schools starting in September um, that idea was first proposed by Bernardo's. I remember meeting them about it several years ago, piloted by Joe McHugh. Now Minister Foley is going to make a reality of it. Um, they're now proposing the extension of hot school meals. Again, this is an idea um, that we've acted on. Uh, Mr. Humphreys is leading that programme. We have, we'll have free hot school meals in every primary school 
sorry, in every Desh primary school and every special school uh, by September. Mr. Humphreys has also written out to schools that are non-Desh to see if they'd be interested in participating in this programme as well. Uh, and it's great to see it working. Individualised hot school meals for kids with their names on it. Um, I think providing that in the summer period during the holidays would involve logistical complications, but we will examine it. But the priority Thank is Desh schools and special schools first then other schools that are interested second, and then we can look at the possibility of extending it to, to the holiday period. Very good. But could we do better? Let us know. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil may be members of uh, the same government, uh, but they are distinct and very separate political parties. And each Wednesday evening, the parliamentary parties meet privately and separately to discuss their role in government. That was the case last night, but oh, if the walls had ears. Let's speak to Michael Brennan, political editor with uh, the Business Post. Good morning to you, Michael, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. The week started off with the three junior ministers writing in uh, the Irish Independent uh, about giving tax breaks to working people of €1,000. Uh, it's not gone down well in Fianna Fáil, obviously. No, it hasn't, Michael. And this is a, you know, a kind of very early outbreak of pre-budget speculation. Normally, uh, in previous years, you'd, you'd maybe waiting till at least June until you started to hear talk of tax cuts and social welfare increases. But it's been brought forward by this opinion piece by those three Fine Gael ministers of state in the Irish Independent. And uh, Fianna Fáil are, are hitting back, uh, particularly, obviously, Thorsten Mihal Martin at their parliamentary party meeting yesterday saying they were undermining the budgetary process. I, I would only caution, though, that lively and all as it is, uh, you know, they, they're, they're having a scrap about how to spend extra money. So this is not, uh, not going to bring forward the general election or anything like that. But it is, uh, there, is, there are some tensions there between the two of them. OK, uh, I don't know how many times I've heard uh, politicians say the budget will be announced by the minister in October and I'm not going to negotiate it here. And now, uh, are, are politicians trying to negotiate what happens in October publicly? Yeah, I, I think, and you've been around the block long enough, Michael, to know that this is part of the kind of softening up process before the budget the, the the reality is that they're projecting a windfall of 12 billion in in corporation tax this year and there's going to be a big battle about do we put that away into some sort of new national reserve fund do we reduce our 200 billion plus national debt or do we increase public spending or put it in tax cuts and Fine Gael are obviously clearly trying to show their number one priority is is tax cuts which you could understand in the middle of a cost of living crisis but that does have impacts on the other three options. So Fianna Fáil are perhaps a bit of tax cuts and a bit more public spending increase would be their, their favourite version. And both parties agree on the need to put aside some of this windfall, which, which they you know is, is firmly believed won't last. So we're, we're in, I suppose, that tricky place again of what's, what's sustainable, what's reckless. And, and that's the kind of debate you're going to see about the budget right, right up to October. Mm. Uh, because a windfall is a windfall it won't necessarily be there in years to come uh, and if you cut taxes now you may need to increase them if you haven't got the money to fund that Yeah and if, if anyone kind of thinks what you've just said sounds familiar they can wind back the clock to around 2007 when, when there were lots of tax cuts uh, announced 
And of course, then a global recession landed in a banking crisis. And we had effectively four or five years of horrendous tax increases and spending cutbacks. So that's the familiar territory. Where it could get bitter in the coalition is 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 this kind of notion. There's a, a, a belief in Fine Gael, of course, that they're the party that rescued the economy after Fianna Fáil crashed just that in that period. And that now there's this element from Fine Gael of don't lecture us to uh, to uh, Fianna Fáil because, you know, we fixed the economy, you wrecked it. If if that rhetoric was to escalate a bit, then that would uh, that would worsen things because you know Fianna Fáil obviously do not like being reminded of that, and it, it, it is as far as they're concerned history. Okay, and, and uh, that was more or less said last night, wasn't it? Uh, that we shouldn't be listening to Fianna Fáil who wrecked the economy. Yeah, I, I think it was reported that, that uh, Michael Creed, the, the Fine Gael uh, TD from Cork Northwest, was making those comments now. In a way, Michael has a free pass because you know he's 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 uh, he's retiring. He's not going to run at the next election, so he can he can say literally whatever he wants mm. <laughs> and not worry about the long term ramifications uh, for for the coalition or or for for future politics. And um, but yeah, that's the kind of commentary I think that uh, that is likely to to crank things up a notch. Yeah, but Leo Bradger, the Taoiseach Fine leader, knew uh, that the three ministers had written this opinion piece. It was uh, defended uh, this morning by Senior Minister Simon Coveney. And uh, there were many, it's reported at uh, the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting last night, who said, yeah, we, we, we need to stand by this. In fact, let's double down on it. Yeah, there, there's no question, you know, there, there's no issue here of... Of, of, you know, this being a solo run and thing. This was a, a calculated move by the Fine Gael party, putting those three ministers. One is one is Orban, Jennifer Karen McNeil. One is, would be seen as more rural, Martin Hayden in Kildare. And then you have Peter Burke, who's in Longford Westmead, but again, was based in, in Mullingar, you know, again, a kind of rural, rural town. So it, it was almost carefully chosen, even the mm. identities, the mix of those uh, with their names behind the piece. So it, it's a calculated thing. Fianna Fáil know it, and that's why they've responded to it. But, you know, in the meantime, I suppose the, the bigger issue would be if they were facing a budget deficit and they were arguing about whether it should be uh, tax increases or spending cuts. You know, this is a, a relatively uh, good problem for the government to have to be arguing over how to spend all this extra money they're, they, they're projecting to get. Jennifer Carl McNeil's When you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Opinion on this is probably the most interesting, is it not, of uh, the three, in that she's uh, a Minister of State at the Department of Finance, a junior minister to Michael McGrath, the Minister for Finance. Yeah, I, I think that's the most provocative part of it. And, and Jennifer Carl McNeil has been kind of raising her profile in recent times since she was made Minister of State uh, during the, the government reshuffle back at Christmas. Um, it, it, I can imagine if the roles were reversed and Pascal Donoghue was still Minister of Finance and his junior minister, Sean Fleming at the time, uh, put his name to something like this. I do not think Pascal Dunham would be one bit impressed. So that was a that was very mischievous by Fine Gael. Um, mm. But you must remember as well, they want to gender balance <laughs> in their tax cut call, and, and that's where Jennifer Carl McNeil comes in there as well mm. to to try and again have a, a more representative look to the party. Okay, Michal Martin, the Tanisha leader of Fianna Fáil, says it's undermining the budgetary process. Uh, is the junior minister Jennifer Carl McNeil undermining her senior minister Michael uh, McGrath? Yeah, it's fair to say she is, um, but. I, I think not undermining it in in a way that we haven't, you know, that 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 doesn't sometimes happen. Not maybe in in that specific department, but you know, this budget kite flying type uh, exercise is is unfortunately, as you referred earlier, it's weirdly familiar. It's just happening a bit earlier, and 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 that's really all it is. The atmosphere here in Leinster House is. You know, people are looking on with a bit of amusement and so on, but it's not uh, it's not a, a kind of, for example, a situation where a minister is is facing the chop and and the government is rocking. It's a it's it's in different space to that. Mm. Uh, but what kind of a position does this leave the minister in? Um, what's Michael McGrath going to do now if he goes ahead and introduce cuts of a uh, thousand uh, euro? Uh, for the average worker, which is uh, the suggest- su- suggestion, I beg your pardon, um, uh, it's going to seem like uh, he's uh, being told what to do by Fine Gael. If he doesn't, um, he's not in a great place either uh, because Fine Gael will say, well, look, we try to look after uh, people who are getting up early in the morning. Yeah, it, there's, there's, you're completely correct in that and I think that's what will make the budget negotiations a bit more tense because he will know if that's the figure that comes out in the budget then it will be portrayed as victory for Fine Gael and in some way a defeat for him. I think Fine Gael have deliberately picked that figure because they figure that is, is, is ultimately deliverable with the amount of surplus that expected this year. And Michael McGrath could dig his heels in and look for, you know, 800, 900, something, something below that nice round figure of a thousand. So I, I think, you know, given, given what we've seen in recent budgets, the fact that inflation is still running quite high at the moment, you know, it's a problem for government commitments that there's going to be tax cuts. The only debate is is how much, and obviously Fine Gael are trying to steal a march on that and be seen as as a party that's delivering there. Okay, Michael, we leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the program this morning. That's Michael Brennan, who is uh, the political editor with uh, the Business Post. Betty Daly, thank you uh, for your text to the program as always. Betty says the government never helps parents who have handicapped children. They wait until family and friends build centres 
and when they're up and running, uh, TDs uh, go and cut ribbons and charge an arm and a leg for the privilege. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Betty. Uh, a WhatsApp uh, message uh, from somebody who's been in touch with us um, to say that uh, they believe uh, that we should be doing better with uh, children. No child should go to school without having a a lunch with them. Uh, And uh, if parents can't provide a lunch, uh, they should be brave enough, as Bernardo said, to look for help. Thank you indeed if you've been in touch. If you'd like to make comment today, our telephone number is 041-983-2000. That's 041-983-2000. You can text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. If you were listening to us uh, yesterday, you may have heard me read out uh, a text at uh, the end of uh, the programme from Mervyn, who said uh, he had offered back at the beginning of the war in around the 24th of February 2022 when Russia invaded Ukraine, modular homes to the government, which could have been delivered very, very quickly. Uh, but there seemed to be no interest in them. We thought that was very interesting and we made contact with Mervyn as we said we would and Mervyn Van Heerden is on the line. He's the co-founder of Low Carbon Technologies. A very good morning to you Mervyn uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Tell us a, a little bit about your company and the modular homes uh, that you can provide or these prefabricated homes that you provide. Morning, Michael. Thank you very much for the opportunity of having me on the show. Yeah, listening to your show yesterday just made my blood boil. Um, we, we, we've been involved with uh, modular buildings for four or five years um, with a large manufacturing partner in China. Um, we, in fact, were about to build a 20,000 square meter factory in Ukraine before the war started. Um, we've, through our partners, have supplied modular buildings, modular structures, factories, homes to Germany, France, Poland, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia. Um, and yet, when we spoke to the government, yeah, the day after the war broke out, I emailed both um, Roderick O'Gorman and Dara O'Brien. Um, to date, we've not had a response to say, let's talk to you. Not interested. But they'll, they'll, they'll go on photo ops and photo, and photo opportunities and, 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 and optics of saying we're exploring every avenue, we're doing everything we can to the point where we're not talking about using floatels to put refugees into. I'm a refugee. Um, the state kindly granted me refugee status a year ago. Um, I cannot get housing in this country because of the, the, the housing crisis in this country. Yet when we talked to the government, we were fobbed off. We were told, uh, we'll get back to you. We were told that talk to the Irish Red Cross. The Irish Red Cross came back promptly and said, well, we will register your, 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 your interest. Nothing from that. Mm. Um, numerous phone calls. I finally discovered someone to talk to at OPW. Spoke to the lead architect. We were told a large contractor will be appointed, and at that point you can talk to them. We finally found out who the contractor was at the end of last year. Um, Low Carbon Tech is not, is, not, is not a big company. We're not a, a, one of the big five. Um, but we have an opportunity to provide a, a solution. Our manufacturing partners in China could have upscaled to produce 700 to 1,000 homes per month. Per month. But this government wouldn't talk to us. Okay? Per month. No per, 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 per month, per, per, yes. just, just to try and get the details, Mervyn. 700 to 1,000 homes per month yeah. uh, for, indefinitely? Indefinitely. Okay. I mean, and, and, and those homes would be suitable for how many persons? 
They, 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 they would be bespoke homes, whether, whether it's a low-cost building, which is prefabricated material for, for a two-person family for or two a eight-person yep. family, mm. whatever it is. Um, okay. That, one of the options would be to do what they call container homes. Um, there's a five-star hotel in Johannesburg built out of con- what's called a flat-back container structure. Mm. It's a five-star hotel. So the rendering and the finish can be a, 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 as good as any rock... Uh, as, as any block building that you that you would see mm. around around Dublin today. And, uh, how much would each of these uh, homes cost the state? Let me tell you something, Michael. You're probably looking at half the price as to what they're currently paying. And say that again. Say say that again, Marvin. Probably looking at, at half the price as to half, what they're currently paying. Half the price you're yeah. saying. Okay, no, no, and they're, 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 I, they're I support I support local buying local. Mm. But when you're in a crisis like this, where you have a hundred thousand refugees suddenly moving moving into Ireland, yeah, we have to look at all options. I have no problem with the fact that that, that, that we. Um, they're dealing with a great company up in the north mm. supplying modular. Okay, just let, 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 let me ask you a few more questions about it, okay. though, if, if I could, Mervyn, because, I mean, you send 700 to 1,000 homes a, a month to Ireland from China. That's all well and good. Uh, they're obviously... Uh, like pieces of Lego. They need to be put together uh, and they need to be put together on a site uh, where there is permission to put them. Um, what do you know about what's involved in achieving that? Let, 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 me, let me take a two-bedroom um, modular house. Yeah. Um, it comes in a flat-back unit. It has a, a small bathroom, a lounge, kitchen, and two separate bedrooms. So it's literally a Lego pack, which would take you about four to seven days to assemble. Mm. While, while you are manufacturing the panels in China and while you're transporting these things across across the world, you prepare your groundworks, you do your concrete slabs, and you put these things up. I currently live in a direct provision center, Marsley Village, um, where there's half the, half the estate is, is, is fenced off and, 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 and not utilized. Okay. Um, with a management that has no interest in, 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 in the refugees and, 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 okay. and the way what, what, they're treated there. What, what, what about plumbing? Um, you know, to have toilets and showers. How does that work? The, the, the kind of process we, we were looking at was com- complete with everything, with your electrical and plumbing and external, with your windows, with, with, with your, um, uh, what do you call it, the insulated windows. Mm. Everything is, is to spec, to our specification. Okay, but, but, specification. but you, would, you, you would be needed to, to be connected to, to services, uh, uh, to the sewage and mains and to electricity and so on. Absolutely. Uh, so, so let's just say a thousand houses a, a month. Uh, h- how quickly, uh, if the state decided to order a thousand homes um, now at the end of May, h- how quickly could those homes be occupied? Put it this way: it, it takes three, uh, a month to six weeks to, to eight weeks to produce to produce uh, a quantity of these homes, and then to ship them is another six to eight weeks. In those, in those three months or four months of your manufacturing and preparing the, the actual structure, you're doing your groundworks, you're doing your sewage, you're doing your, you're doing your electric, electrification of the site. That's the kind of stuff that happens simultaneously while you're bringing in, in, in the, the complete right. structure. So when they arrive, in theory, you should be able to Assemble. move in very quickly. Exactly. 
Okay. All right. Uh, now, uh, looking at photographs on your website, uh, people will remember the chalets in Mosny, uh, which is where yeah. which is where you're living at, at the That's moment. Exactly, yeah. uh, and they look pretty similar to that. Uh, they look. I, I was watching um, the Tonight Show on Virgin TV last night. A lot of our listeners might have seen that as well. They had an example yeah. of uh, what they're proposing: this big, huge barge in the UK, yeah. uh, and it looked very similar to what you have here. It would be three huge huge barge with three stories of uh, modular homes uh, uh, which then uh, would accommodate 500 people along with a gym and canteen and that sort of thing uh, but it would be offshore and people would need to, to uh, get smaller boats out to the barge to uh, go home uh, and that sort of thing. The difference uh, between what you're proposing and how they looked to me at least is that yours would be on land. I will be on land, and it could be deemed as a temporary structure, which once the crisis is over, could be re- repurposed for social housing while people are waiting. They're waiting lists of five to ten years for social housing in this country. Um, so once once the refugees are moved on in, 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 into society, you use those, those same structures as temporary halfway homes for people that are waiting for social housing. Um, there's, there, there, there are, there's nothing wrong with these places. I've lived in them. You know, I'm an ex-soldier. I know, I know what it's like to live in a tent. Mm. Um, I, I'm being said now that I'll be moved out of Mosnib into a, into a tent t- place somewhere down in Carlo because I'm a single male. Um, but I've been trying for a year to find a place to live. Okay. And the government goes on and says, but we're doing everything. They're not doing everything. Mm. Why can't you provide a home for yourself? Why are you not, why are you not living in one of these modular homes? Um, quite simply, I can't afford it. Okay. I'm a refugee. I'm going to rebuild my life again, mm. and um, like, like so many others, like 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 so many of the Ukrainians sitting in this country that have, have lost everything. You know, my story is not unique. Um, there, there are hundreds of thousands of us uh, across the country like that who are having to rebuild their lives and start over again. There's no incentive or assistance to, to, to try and start over. Mm. There's no help for small businesses to get off the ground. Okay, so. Um are you in business? Have you sold uh, many of uh, these prefabricated houses? No, not 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 in Ireland. Um, we we work primarily in, in in Europe with our partners. Okay. Um, I, I, but you I, you, I you don't obviously focus you d- on the Irish market. I, I only came to the government because I thought there's an opportunity to help to help people that needed housing. Okay. It's not about money. This is about putting home. No, no, no. I know. I know, Mervyn. And uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm not uh, questioning your personal <laughs> services. But be, pe- people, people listening would be interested. Uh, you obviously would need to sell an awful lot more of them to be able to afford to live in one of them to, <laughs> to provide a home for yourself. Uh, okay. Uh, and you're from South Africa. You're a, a refugee in Ireland, living in. Mosny. Now, we're all very curious as to your circumstances. Um, well, my, my story is probably not a, a, any different to me. I had to lost their jobs and their housing uh, during COVID. Um, and the irony is, my grandmother is Irish, and I'm actually entitled by birthright to an Irish citizenship. But it's taken three years to try and find paperwork out of South Africa from a government that doesn't want to cooperate with a government that I can't talk to. Um, and I had no choice but to, but to present myself to mm. the Department of Justice and ask for international protection. But can, can, can you tell us why you left South uh, Africa I, to I'm seek international protection? Officer and the, the political situation in South Africa has, has made me a target for that and a number of other reasons that I'd rather not go into. Um, so, so I ended up in direct provision, um, a necessary evil. 
Mm. You know, when you're living in Mosley and I spend a thousand, thousands of euros putting cedar wood around a little shed and they won't paint the inside of somebody's house, that makes no sense. Or, or, or I tell the family they can't have to get rid of a kitten if they're rescued because no pets are allowed. Meanwhile, the child relies on this as a comfort. Um, you know, I, I, I have no problem with direct provision. I, there, there are issues with direct provision. But when there's nothing else, you have to take it and live with it. But it can be made more, for lack of a better word, accommodating, mm. uh, more user-friendly. You know, with people that are treated with disdain and, and look down upon, I see it with my African neighbors and my, my, my Albanian neighbors on the other side. Okay. Um, you, you, you don't get much out of, out of mm. people that manage these places. Okay, but you've been granted refugee status. In other words, yeah. you're not an asylum seeker. You are a refugee. You're legally I am, I am, you're, you're, I am a registered you're, refugee. You're legally entitled to stay in this country, yeah. and that is because it has been decided uh, that it's too dangerous for you to return to South Africa. That either uh, you'd be imprisoned, tortured, or killed. I take it. Exactly. Yeah. The caseworker that interviewed me, I had a two-hour interview with a gentleman. The Department of Justice, who had clearly done his homework. When I first applied for, for, for international protection, I was told quite bluntly, you're a white South African, you won't get it. Which I thought quite strange. Mm. Um, I didn't know that my race, the color of my skin, determined my, my refugee status. Um, but the state kindly granted me that after the, the, the caseworker that reviewed my case and did his research, this mm. agreed with me. He agreed that I, I, would, I would be persecuted and I would, I would be at risk of losing my life. Okay. Uh, as a, a white-skinned refugee, or, <laughs> um, are you surprised to see people of colour uh, who are seeking international protection in this country being persecuted by Irish people? Yes. Because that's not that's not the island I I I I've grown to know. I I I've been in and out of Ireland. I've been here for many years, um, and, and lived up north for a long time. My 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 my, my recollections of, of the Irish people are, are people that are welcoming. Um, we seen that you see at the moment the people wearing balaclavas and, and burning down tents. Hmm. Um, it's just that's not Irish. It's not something that's you've that's ever experienced. Is it something you've ever experienced? Um, not, 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 not in, in the last 15, 15 to seventeen years. No. but I'm seeing it. In, I'm seeing it increasingly. Yeah, um, but I, 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 I imagine, I, Mervyn, that the reason for that is the colour of your skin. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 was, I was working with a gentleman the other day from Angola. Um, so I'm white. He's black, and it was quite obvious the racist attitude that was directed towards my colleague versus the, the, the approach to myself. Um, and that's not that's not the Irish way. You know, as Irishmen, the Irish were persecuted for many years. They know what it's like. It's it's, it's part of, part of our DNA, the Irish DNA. Um, and, and, and Irish people are welcoming. They're, they're open and, and they're friendly. What you see on the streets of Dublin and other cities around the country today, that's not Irish. Uh, you have a very interesting story, Mervyn. It's uh, very interesting to hear your story. Living in Mosny, uh, white-skinned South African refugee uh, who's uh, in business trying to sell modular homes and hoping that the government would provide you with one. Uh, it's uh, a little bit confusing. I- I'm sure you'd agree uh, for some of our for some of our listeners. Yeah. Look, I- I've always I've always worked for myself. Um, Due to circumstances, I couldn't return to South Africa. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I've dealt with some of the top top countries, companies in this country uh, when I was doing marketing and advertising. Mm. 
I, I've always believed in, 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 in making my own way in life. I, I, I don't want to be a refugee. I, I, I really don't want to be a refugee. But circumstances dictated that. Same as uh, so many others arrived here from Ukraine. They didn't want to be bombed out of their homes. Um, but but we, we, need to, we need to help them. We need to support them. We need to give them a place to stay. Whether, whether you're Ukrainian or Sudanese, or you're South African or, or Polish, you know? Mm. Um, everyone is equal. Mm. Is the way I, I believe it. Okay. Mervyn, thanks for the text yesterday. Uh, and uh, thanks for taking our call and coming on today as well, for that matter, and telling us uh, your story. Very interesting story. Uh, we're going to speak uh, to John Lannan of uh, Duras in a, a moment about the situation generally, but uh, we'll ask him what he, he makes as well. Uh, of uh, the offer that you made to, to government uh, and uh, h- how he feels about it and the merits of it. But thank you, as I say, for joining us on the programme this morning. Mervyn Van Heerden, co-founder of Low Carbon Technologies. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, let's speak uh, to John Lannan, as promised. Uh, John is uh, the CEO of Duristers, is an independent, non-profit, non-governmental organisation that works to support and promote the rights of all migrants in Ireland. Good morning to you, John, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. I think you heard the discussion with Mervyn. Uh, you work with all migrants in, in this country. Uh, am I right in thinking that Mervyn uh, is unusual in terms of uh, the people who seek international protection and indeed, like he did, uh, end up getting refugee status? Um, good morning. Um, it, well, I guess it's... Um the case that there is no typical um, asylum seeker other than the common factor that they are people who have been um, faced persecution because of their race, their colour, their ethnicity, because of their political views um, or for a number of other reasons. And they're people that are trying to escape from situations where their their lives or their well-being is at, is at risk. And that could be from any part of the world. You know, we hear sometimes about countries that are referred to as safe countries. But those countries are not safe for everybody. And and as your previous guest, Mervyn, just explained in the case of South Africa, it was a country that some might see as safe, and it's safe for, for many people. But for people like him, it just wasn't safe. Okay. Uh, uh, am I right in thinking uh, that it wouldn't be unusual for a white-skinned English-speaking person like Mervyn not to be subjected uh, to the type of outrageous uh, anti-immigrant sentiment uh, that we've been seeing against others. Um, that, that may be the case. You know, there, there are perceptions about asylum seekers and about refugees in the country um, that, that characterise them, that, that label them. And, and it's, it's something that we see now, particularly with the... Um, extremism of the far right is um, bringing out the worst in a small number of people. Now, I do have to say that the majority of people, the majority of communities around Ireland are welcoming of refugees and asylum seekers, regardless of their skin colour or where they come from. Mm, absolutely, there's no doubt uh, about that. Uh, but uh, Mervyn also uh, is somebody who's living in direct provision, although he has refugee status, uh, and tells us his peculiar story that he, he can't afford to move out or can't find somewhere to live if he does move out because he's uh, entitled to move out. Uh, he's uh, selling 
modular homes, prefabricated buildings, uh, can't afford to move into one of them himself uh, and has uh, offered uh, the government uh, the prospect of importing these homes, 700 to 1,000 a month. He reckons they could be brought in at half the price uh, that they're currently paying. Uh, What did you make of that? Um, Well, first of all, there's a few things that struck me about him and one is that it highlights the great contribution that people who come through the asylum process here in Ireland can make to to, to society and to to the economy and to help with being part of the the solution to the challenges that we're we're facing now. Um, The the other thing that that struck me was that we, you know, we're... We we hear and we understand that um, the government and the Department of Children are finding it difficult to source accommodation, particularly for asylum seekers or international protection applicants, or as they're called. And and this is despite the fact that we have a lot of vacant buildings in the country, despite the fact that we found out last week that there are unused places in rest centres that were brought into use for people from Ukraine. Mm. Um, and 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 now we hear again from Mervyn, and and we've heard this from others as well, that they're proposing solutions that, that are not being given adequate consideration in our views. You know, we, we're hearing now about um, options that are being considered for later in the year or for next year. But you know, we need government, and we need to be making decisions now. You know, we can't wait until after the summer to get working on this. We still have people who are homeless on the streets. So we need to bring accommodation into use for them. And whether that's modular units or being able to convert existing buildings, we need to get on as fast. They yeah, need to get on as fast. And the government promised modular housing, uh, but it wasn't delivered. There was to be housing, modular housing delivered in November of last year, wasn't it? There, there was, yes. So we've been talking, now we're hearing about um, modular units for well, over a year, as you say, they were initially promised last November. It was delayed, and and now we're hearing that it will be June before the first of those will be stood up for use in 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 the first sites. Um, and and you know we we appreciate and we understand that there has been um, resistance and and there have been um, I I think. Um, problems in relation to communication, in relation to the community engagement around many of the centres and locations that are being used for accommodation. We also appreciate that it takes time to connect up, to, to get planning permission sorted, to get connected up to services and all of the rest. But it's still quite um, surprising that it's taking so long to get these things into place because as um, as, as the previous guest Melvin was explaining, these can be done reasonably quickly. They are rapid build, hmm. you know. So, so the, the the idea is that you get them in place quickly. They're not um, perhaps the best in terms of long term housing for people, but you know they're a lot better than having people on the streets or having them cramped hmm. in 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 hotel rooms or. or um, other unsuitable buildings, yeah. giving people their own door and allowing them to be able to get on with their, their life in terms of education and employment is what's needed. Yeah, and listening to Mervyn talking about them coming in flat packs, it was, uh, or it sounded a bit like going to Ikea and buying a house, um, but that is what it is. They're like pieces of Lego. They're already built and you put them together. Um, what, what are your thoughts uh, uh, on modular housing versus these flotillas, these floating hotels uh, where you'd have modular housing on a, a barge, uh, uh, which uh, seems to be something that the government is seriously considering now? 
Yes, we, we've heard about this in the recent days and, and I think we're, we're more accustomed you know, to hearing about floating prisons than floating hotels. Um, it's quite astonishing that we're at a point where we're now talking about these for, for asylum seekers, something that should not be considered entirely inappropriate for vulnerable men and women and children who've come into the country in search of safety. Um, and, and one of the key points here is that you know, reception and accommodation needs to be accompanied by integration. And that means integration from day one, the day that asylum seekers arrive. Putting people on these floating barges pushes them to the margins, separates them, excludes them. Even for basic things like English classes, medical care, they, these are all are all difficult, you know. So we, we, we really... We really shouldn't be at the point where anything above street homelessness is seen as acceptable. We mm. need to do better than that here. Okay. Is it better, though, than sleeping on the streets? I think, well, you know, at the moment, we've, we've um, the, the government said that they're working through ensuring that everybody who is on the streets will be provided with um, accommodation. We do still have people in tents in other parts of, of the country, like in in County Clare, for example. We we have people in substandard um, unsuitable accommodation around around the country. Um, we, we have a lack of standards when it comes to the um, ensuring the welfare, the well-being of people. I would be extremely concerned about putting vulnerable people on floating barges or prisons or hotels or whatever we want, want to call them because it's, um, you know, it, it excludes, it separates, it makes it difficult for them to access services and, and it does not lead to good outcomes from anybody when you're left there. The other thing that we have to, to, to bear in mind, I suppose, is that we have a poor history here with temporary solutions, particularly for the reception and accommodation of refugees. You know, we have to remember that international protection was set up uh, supposedly as a temporary measure back yeah. in 2000. Yeah. We still got it 23 years later. We were told in December that the tents that were being used were mentioned in Nakhlesheen and Clare would be ended. There are still over 100 men in those tents. So again, I would be extremely wary and, and concerned about bringing in any temporary, so-called temporary solutions that are unsuitable. Okay. If uh, things don't change uh, because people uh, are clearly saying uh, they don't want asylum seekers or international protection applicants moving into their area, we've seen that time and again uh, and protests continue. Uh, If that continues, will there be any other option uh, apart from Flotellus? I think we've got to look at what's behind the, the, the um, belief that people don't want asylum seekers in, in their area. You know, if if we look at what's been happening around the country, and if we take um, the one that was in the, the media um, quite a bit in the last couple of weeks in Inch in, in County Clare, you know, and I know many of the people around there, and I know that they were very anxious and keen to ensure there was a welcome for the asylum seekers there in McGowan House um, that, that, that all, all of the attention was on. There was a small number of people that were out protesting, you know, and, and we know that there was, um, you know, there, there, there was um, 
there were external or outside connections to those groups as well. We know that there are organisations and there are individuals in the far right that are going around the country organising um, protests. They, they don't represent communities. You know, they don't speak on behalf of of the community. So I think that's where we need to get better. The government needs to get better around the communications, around engaging with communities, not giving communities the choice about who does and who doesn't come to live in their communities, but ensuring that they've got the services that they need when the numbers are increase in their area. John, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us as always. It's very much appreciated. John Lannan is the CEO of Duris, which is an independent, non-profit, non-governmental organisation working with migrants in this country. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you may have heard yesterday, uh, Gardaí were investigating a hate crime which uh, resulted in the very brutal assault of a 14-year-old boy by his colleagues in school are investigating a second assault which may have been linked to the first attack. Let's speak uh, to local Sinn Féin TD, Johnny Gurk, who's on the line. A very good morning to you, Johnny, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. What's your understanding of this? Good morning, Michael. Um, I'll tell you, Michael, the first I heard of it, Michael, was this morning, and then I read it in the uh, Irish Times after I went looking for it, so I read it in the Irish Times after that, but uh, that was the first I heard of the second assault, Michael, and hopefully, Michael, that uh, it's not true. Like, the last thing we need or anybody needs um, is for this to escalate. Um, You know, we definitely, um, most certainly don't need that, so, um, you know. Mm. Retaliation uh, and counter-retaliation, I suppose, is what people always fear about this. And uh, we heard uh, as well uh, of uh, threats uh, being handed out to the five boys who were arrested. Yeah, well, the problem, Michael, everybody involved in this is very young, you know, so you most certainly don't want to, um, anything to escalate, you know, or, 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 or anybody target um, on either side. That's the last thing anybody needs, you know. The the, the one thing, Michael, I'll go back to there was, um, you know, this thing was shared on social media 6.5 million times and for days um, between the guards and, and, and everybody else were asking for it to be taken down off um, social media, and it took days. It, it's it's gone now, but it took days. Um, that shouldn't uh, that shouldn't happen. It should. If the guards asked for it to be taken down, you'd you would imagine uh, for the good of the society and the good of the people involved that that should be taken down straight away. Mm, well, you certainly would, uh, but it's probably too late in the day, given that it's had five million views at this stage. Uh, the Irish Times report yesterday was of a young girl who was assaulted on the Trim Road area of Navan on Wednesday of last week. Uh, detail, as you say, is scant, uh, but uh, what, what, what is the mood in, in the town? Are people looking for retaliation? I didn't hear of anybody uh, looking for retaliation. Um, there was an awful lot of sympathy for for the young boy involved, you know. And whether it's a boy or a girl, no fourteen year old um, should have to go through that, you know. Being, um, you know, and and as I said um, several times during the week, there was a lot of people um, there at that. Um, you know, when that happened and that had nothing to do with it, you know, so there's a lot of good people involved and even the young people involved, they're only 14, 15 years of age, like, they may need help, they may need uh, counselling, they may need help, you know, maybe low self-esteem, trying to, um, um, you know, 
impress their buddies. Mm. You know, it's not right, like, but, at, you know, you can't condone it or anything, but at the same time, they're only 14, 15 years of age, like, so they may need, um, you know, whatever, uh, counselling or help, and I most certainly, Michael, if, if somebody calls me, I would definitely do my best for, um, on either side, you know, but that's not condoning what they've done either, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to do that either, you know. Mm. Testosterone and uh, bravado can... Yeah. Uh, lead to very poor decisions uh, that can ruin lives. Uh, it's expected that the boys involved won't be charged, uh, that they will be referred to, to the junior liaison service. Yeah, well, to look at all you can do is, is the guards to investigate it, you know, uh, fully and, and you know, um, do do whatever they have to do, you know. But at the same time, like, you know, if people need help, um, they should get it, you know, um, from, from, from either side. But the last thing um, uh, me or anybody else in County Mead wants to see is escalating, you know, and that, that needs to stop, you know. And, mm. um, you know, but if, if there's help needed, people should get it on either side. A difficult time for everybody. Uh, I read somewhere as well uh, that one of uh, the boys didn't want to go to the Garda station but uh, was brought by his parents uh, undoubtedly very difficult for everybody involved yeah, very, very difficult, you know, and, you know, like, them, them, them young lads, like, you know, they, you don't want them to go down a slippery slope or the wrong way, mm. and then it's you go down too far, then it's very hard to come back. So maybe if they got a little bit of help and support uh, that they need now, you know, it, it, it could t- turn them around and put them in the right direction, you know, and that's what I would ask, um, that for services, to, that they can um, help them as much as possible, you know, and uh, as I said earlier, it's not condoning what they've done. We can't do that because what kind of a society would we have if you can go out and, and, and be at a, a young fellow for being who he is or who he wants to be you know we're not condoning that either but as there are people involved are so young you know they definitely if they need help they should get it Okay Johnny thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning uh, that's uh, Sinn Féin TD for Mead West Johnny Gurk who brings our programme to its conclusion today Maggie Maguire Research Chris Murray was in the control term I'm Michael Godwinning we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.